Welcome to Finish Well Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing your home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Everyone, welcome to Finish Well Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Curtis. I am so excited to be with you on our third trip to the Netherlands. We have talked about the geography and how the plucky little Dutch, plucky tall Dutch people have tamed the sea and built the land, extended it out over the water, and we've talked about how they've held back the sea and canals and windmills, and we've talked about the golden age and tulip mania. And today we are going to talk about World War II in the Netherlands and post-World War II. World War II had a huge impact on the Dutch people, and you probably are familiar with some of the people we're going to talk about today, like Anne Frank and Corey Ten Boom and Brother Andrew. You may have heard of them. So let me take you on our third trip. This is episode 204, and we are going to the Netherlands. This little northern European country has such a fascinating history, but I'm sorry to tell you that World War II brought such horror to the nation. The Dutch people, as always, when they face an enemy, they fight back, and they fought back by hiding Jews and making life very difficult for the occupying Nazis. But let's go back to the beginning. It's 1938. Hitler has um, gone into Austria, and now he is determined to continue to spread across Europe. He wants to get rid of the Jews, desperately wants to get rid of the Jews. So he decides in 1938 that if any countries will take the Jews, they can have them. Of course, the Jews had to leave without any money and without any belongings, but they could keep their life. So a conference was held in Evian, Les Bains, France. And people from all over the world came from representing different countries from South America, from Asia, from all over Europe, from North America. Canada was there and the U.S. was there. Their purpose was to get together and discuss how many nations each, how many people each nation could take, how many of the Jewish people each nation could take. So remember, there's 6 million, 11 million Jews in Germany. It was 6 million that were killed. And so that's a lot of people. The countries that were there said things like, I can take 30,000. I can take 6,000, but only farmers, no businessmen, and just things like that. So people were not eager to take the Jews, even though they expressed sympathy. So what happened is that two nations said, however many Jews want to come to our country can come. And that was Denmark and the Netherlands. But no one else said anything close to that. So, of course, the Nazis took that. Hitler said, well, no one wants the Jews. So he used this conference, the Evian conference, to justify his final solution. 
However, remember, Denmark and the Netherlands said as many want to come as can come. And so some of the Jews did indeed flee to the Netherlands and to Denmark. And they both have really beautiful stories of protecting the Jewish people. But I'm sorry to tell you also that they were overrun by 1940. So I want to move forward. So the the Netherlands has said, hey, if you want to come, Jewish people come. Remember, the Netherlands has always been a haven for Jewish people. When other European nations had the Inquisition, when other European nations were persecuting the Jews, the Netherlands was always a place that they could come. So as World War II is getting underway, by 1938, World War II is underway, and Hitler is marching across Europe. But the Netherlands remained neutral. Now, they had done this in World War I, and it had worked. No one bothered them. They were able to survive World War I. However, Hitler was not about to let this little country stay unconquered. And in 1940, they... 1940, Hitler invaded, and he occupied until 1945 when they were liberated by the Nazis. And so there were so many people that were horrified by what happened. Rotterdam was just leveled to the ground when Hitler invaded. If you see pictures of Rotterdam before and after, it's so horrific. And Rotterdam is the one city that is completely modern, because if you go to Amsterdam, Ulrich, Delft, all these countries, they have buildings, houses, canals that are hundreds of years old, but Rotterdam was leveled. And Jews were rounded up, of course. The Nazis moved in, and people were sent, the, the Dutch men were sent to Germany to work in factories. All the food that was produced was sent to the German people. So the Netherlands, in the Netherlands, the Dutch were starving. Even so, many brave Dutch men and Dutch women, like Corrie ten Boom and her family, they risked their lives to hide Jews in secret rooms built into their homes. Others, like Brother Andrews, sabotaged the Nazi invaders. So for from 1940 until the Dutch were liberated by the Allies in 1945, Life was very horrific for the Dutch people. And when I talk about World War II and the Netherlands, one of the first things that comes to mind is Anne Frank. And we can visit the Anne Frank Museum in Amsterdam. It is the location of the the secret dwelling where... um, Otto and Edith, the parents, and their two daughters, Margot and Anne, they hid for a little over two years before the Nazis found them. And they just had to stay in their secret room. They could come out, but if there was anyone coming, they had to run back in. And Anne kept a diary. Now, eventually the Nazis took all of them away, and everyone died but Otto. When Otto returned to the secret hideaway, he found Anne's diary, and he went ahead and had it published. And one of the things that's so significant about this diary is that here's this normal young girl, and she is writing about all the feelings that normal young girls feel as they're moving into womanhood. But 
Of course, she's in hiding only because she's Jewish, not because she's done anything wrong. And so if we visit in the Netherlands and go to Amsterdam, we can visit this museum and learn about Anne, her family, the family that saved their lives, and the Nazis that destroyed so many Jewish lives. It's it's really sad. I just have to warn you, this museum is a very sad place. I cried through the whole visit. Many pictures from back in the day and just very heartbreaking. Another place that I want to take you on our trip, you're traveling with me to the Netherlands, I want to take you to Harlem. Not Harlem, New York. No, this is Harlem in the Netherlands. And I want to take you to a little watch shop. This watch shop is the Ten Boom Watch Shop. It's been in the Ten Boom family for generations. And another thing that has been in the Ten Boom family for generations is a love for Jesus Christ. Now, Corey Ten Boom became a watchmaker as a young woman under her father's tutelage. And Above the watch shop is where they lived. Now it's a museum. So we were waiting in the alley next to the watch shop, and we were waiting for the museum to open up, and it opened up, and about 15 of us went into the museum. We climbed up the stairs, and there is a first story, which is really the second story of the whole building, and then a third story and where the bedrooms are. So we came into the parlor, and the head of the museum said, come and sit down. So we sat in the furniture, very different from any museum you will ever visit. And we sat down, and there was a, a piano there, and the tour guide said, does anyone play the piano? So this man from the Czech Republic said, I do. And he sat down and played some hymns and we all sang along. And that was our start of the Corrie Ten Boom Museum. It was so beautiful. We got to see the hiding place upstairs and see where the Jews were hidden. But let me take you back a hundred years because it was actually 100 years to the day so in 1844, something happened, and then 100 years later, in 1944, was when the Nazis burst in. They realized that Wilhelm's son, Casper, and his two daughters, Corey and Betsy, were hiding Jews. They could not find the Jews in the hiding place. They did not find the hiding place because it was so well built. But they took Corey, Betsy, and Casper away to a concentration camp. But so let me take you back to 1844, 100 years to the day exactly. And Corey's grandfather, Willem, was approached by a Messianic Jewish pastor. And he said, Willem, will you start a weekly prayer meeting for the Jewish people? Now, that is so strange because back then there was no nation of Israel and the Jews were scattered throughout the world. But Willem faithfully began a weekly prayer meeting for the Jewish people. It continued for 100 years until the day Corey and her family were arrested. Now, that is just so God, isn't when when things are going to happen 
that are going to be harmful. He raises up people to pray. He raises up people to be covering these tragic events in prayer that God would do something. And so when the the Nazis came in to the Netherlands, Casper, who was Corrie ten Boom's father, was warned of the danger of hiding Jewish people. He said, Casper, if you help the Jewish people, you will be imprisoned in a concentration camp and you will most likely be killed. And this is what Casper said. He said, it is a privilege to give my life to save God's chosen people. And Corey and Betsy, his daughters, shared his heart. So this family opened up their home to Jewish people. And up in Corey's bedroom, there was a little linen closet. But at the bottom of the linen closet, if you pulled the sheets out, there was a little opening to crawl through and become part of the hiding place. The hiding place was so small, it could fit five people if they stood up and one or two people could, you know, squat down for a little, but not all five could squat at the same time. So it was really tiny, built well into the wall. So when the Nazi soldiers took Casper and Corey and Betsy away to the concentration camp, they could not find the Jews that were hiding in the hiding place. They couldn't find the hiding place. So after about um, five days to a week, other people in the resistance came and they helped those people move on to the next place. So really what you have in the Netherlands was this huge collision of worldviews. There's a wicked man leading Germany with a wicked philosophy, doing everything in his power to make the Jewish people and every other undesirable feel debased, humiliated, and hopeless. But you see, with all of his demonic Attempts, even rewriting the Bible, if you can even imagine, Hitler could not overcome love, forgiveness, and mercy that flow from the heart of God. And Corey and her family recognized the value and the dignity of every life, especially the lives that were so precious to our Father God. So when world views collide, God's love always wins. Now, the night of the final raid came on an evening when Corey was very sick. Betsy answered the door, and though she was suspicious of the Dutch trader outside, Betsy helped him anyway. He brought back the Gestapo, and they arrested all three ten booms. And like I said, the soldiers chopped, hacked, and destroyed, but the little hiding place works. Now, What happened after they were arrested is that Betsy eventually died in the concentration camp, and so did Casper. Betsy's health was not good, and Casper was very, very old. Corey was not a spring chicken herself, but after she got out of the concentration camp, she spent the rest of her life traveling around the world talking about God's love and forgiveness and Jesus Christ and the gospel. And if you want to read some beautiful books, read The Hiding Place, read um, her other books. They're just so, Tramp for the Lord and some others, they're just amazing. And 
she is one of my heroes, and I was so excited to see the Ten Boom Museum. Now, there was someone else that is another hero, another favorite of mine, and his name is Brother Andrew. And he was born in 1928. So when the Nazis invaded in 1940, he was 12 years old. And his little town was abruptly changed. It was a very idyllic life. Andrew went to school, probably complained about all his homework, did his chores around the house. His family were devoted Christians. But the Nazis made a swift attack on Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, and conquered all three. So they saw the Air Force flying to the North Sea one day, and they thought, oh, they're on their way to attack London, the UK. But nope, they suddenly turned around and just attacked the Netherlands. They attacked military airfields, and they tried to kidnap Queen Wilhelmina, but she managed to escape. The Dutch troops fought as bravely as they could, but they were really just no match. The The Germans were unrelenting. They blew up bridges. They flooded areas. And like I said, they completely leveled the town of Rotterdam. But that there was, of course, more destruction in the country, but they basically saw what had been done to Rotterdam, and they knew They had to surrender. So Queen Wilhelmina escaped to England and then on to Canada. And every day she put out radio broadcasts to keep the Dutch spirits bolstered. On Andrew's 12th birthday, the planes were dropping bombs over his hometown. And of course they didn't celebrate his birthday. And so they knew about the what Germany had done to Rotterdam. So when the Germans said surrender or we will destroy your city, city after city surrendered. Um, His family, Andrew's family was devastated when the Netherlands surrendered and they determined as a family, they would do everything they could to thwart the purposes of the Nazis. Some, People in his town helped to hide and care for Jews. Others helped the Allies. There were a lot of downed flyers over the Netherlands. And if you read The Winged Watchman, it's a beautiful story of how the Dutch people helped this um, Allied flyer. But there was a lot that people did to help the cause. But what Andrew did is he got together with other boys and young men in his town, and they blew up bridges and destroyed railroads. And what this did is that kept the Germans from moving men and supplies. So if you can't move men and supplies, you can't keep conquering, and you can't fight against attacks that are coming if you can't get to them. So Andrew's education completely stopped when the Nazis invaded. And remember, I told you before that all the food the Dutch farmers grew was sent to German soldiers. Dutchmen were kidnapped. They were forced to serve in German factories. So you can imagine Andrew's teen years were filled with hunger and horror. And if you read his um, his book, Brother Andrew, you will see that when the Allies finally came through. He went to their camp and he said, 
please give me food. They were so hungry. But God protected him, and he joined the army after the war. Most importantly, though, God used the war and his experience in the war to build in him a great compassion for hurting people. I'm not going to tell you about how he got saved because you'll have to read his book. But after the war, many people were displaced and they were living in those old German concentration camps. They were sick and starving. So Andrew and his young wife, Corey, would visit them, bring them food, clothing and medical supplies. Then Andrew learned about communism and how it had taken over Eastern European countries. So they heard that in these communist countries, Christians were being persecuted for their faith. So Andrew would go to these troubled countries and bring them Bibles, money, and encouragement from Western Christians. So he and his wife started a ministry called Open Doors, and they ministered to persecuted Christians in Europe behind the Iron Curtain. They also ministered later to people behind the Bamboo Curtain in China, in Asia, And then they ministered before his death, ministered to persecuted believers in the Middle East. So Andrew died in 2022 at the age of 94 and left a legacy of love behind. He could have become bitter because the Nazis stole his education and his life. Instead, he allowed God to heal and use him just like Corey. Corey allowed God to heal and use her. What powerful heroes these this man of God and this woman of God were. And I just so appreciate um, this amazing heritage of faith. If you watch a movie called Return to the Hiding Place, it's about some of the people in the resistance, the young people that Corey worked with, and they all had this amazing faith in Jesus. And it shows in in the film, in the video. I love that. It's called Return to the Hiding Place. There is a scene or two that is very suspenseful and scary. It's probably not good for children, young children, but teens will enjoy it. And so I talked to you in the last trip we took in part two of Travel to the Netherlands that there was this incredible faith that the Dutch people had in Jesus, in the gospel, and it impacted how they lived and how they worked. Well, this faith went right up to about World War II. And after World War II, there were years of rebuilding from the terrible destruction, and the Dutch gave all their colonies their independence, Indonesia, Suriname and the Antilles Islands and they had no colonies left although the Netherlands and the Netherlands Antilles and the Caribbean got together to form the kingdom of the Netherlands with each country having its own government but sharing a king or queen but besides that they were completely devastated so they lost their colonies they slowly rebuilt the cities farms dikes and bridges and they lost their faith and that, not all of them lost their faith. I mean, there's this Dutch Bible belt running from Zealand to West 
Betty Wu and, and Bell Wu to Owa Jessel. These folks are active in church and devoted to the Lord. But the average Dutch person doesn't believe in Jesus anymore. And that is what's so sad. So we can pray for the Netherlands, for God to bring a revival to that country that was so devout. And they enjoyed that devout faith for so long. So there's still a remnant of hard work and thriftiness in their culture. And they're successful at business, at trade and inventions. But there's been a steady decline of morality along with the steady decline of their faith. They've legalized abortion. They've legalized euthanasia. They've legalized prostitution. They've legalized marijuana and other drugs. So it, it's definitely not the place it was a hundred years ago. And one of the things that really impacted the Dutch people was starving during the Nazi occupation. They were determined to never starve again. So even today, the Dutch are on the cutting edge with efficient and productive farming techniques. In fact, besides the United States, who's the number one exporter of food, the Netherlands is the second largest exporter of foods. Can you imagine that tiny country is the second largest exporter of foods? And I think what is amazing to me is that they also are the first to make artificial meat. And there actually is kind of a showdown right now in the Netherlands between the Dutch farmers and the World Economic Forum people who have some control in the government because the World Economic Forum people want to shut farms down and get rid of a lot of the cattle, a lot of the livestock, and the farmers are like, no way. And there's still that strong desire to provide food, not only for their own country, but for the rest of the world. So we'll see what happens with this kind of showdown that's going on in the Netherlands. But in the meantime, the Netherlands continue to be very successful in trade. The Dutch people are very good businessmen, lots of Dutch businesses that are very successful. They um, export tulips, of course, when you think of the Netherlands, you think of flowers, but other flowers as well, dairy products, eggs, meat, vegetables, and technology. And I don't know if you knew this, but the cassette tape was invented by a Dutch corporation in 1963. In the 1980s, the same company, Royal Phillips, gave the world the CD. And then in 1997, the DVD. So if you've ever used, well, maybe your your mom or your dad has used a cassette tape that was from the Dutch, and the CD was from the Dutch, and the DVD was from the Dutch. And in the 1990s, Dutch network scientists laid the groundwork for Wi-Fi. So they're still very much inventing and changing things and adapting. So they still have that desire to conquer 
and to trade with other nations. I just think they're just an amazing people. It's really been fun for me to take you with me to visit the Netherlands. We went back in time today to World War II and post-World War II. Um, if you're interested in reading more about what happened in that time, I recommend The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. It's about her experience. Diary of a Young Girl is by Anne Frank. Of course, it's just her diary, but that's about her experience as a Jew in hiding. And The Winged Watchman is fiction. It's by Hilda Van Stockham, but it is about a downed allied flyer and this farming family that takes care of them. And what's in this book is how they used the windmills to signal, and the Germans didn't know that. But during World War II, the Dutch would use the windmill blades to send signals to one another. So kind of cool, as always, so innovative. The Dutch are always so innovative. And then the movie that I mentioned, Return to the Hiding Place, such a good movie. There's also the Hiding Place movie itself. The Return to the Hiding Place is a much newer movie. Now, I want to invite you to join me for a four-week unit study touring the plucky little country that once ruled the seas. So Travel to the Netherlands Unit Study is available at Powerline Productions. And if you go to Powerline Productions and you can get powerlineprod.com, there's a link in your show notes. Just click on the picture of Travel to the Netherlands Unit Study. And when you get there, you can buy an ebook, a digital product, or you can press a link there and get a full color print copy of the unit study. I love this unit study. It's so fun to go through and I hope you will really like it too. It is been such a blessing to have you come along with me to the Netherlands. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the people there, and I will look forward to another trip in the future. I don't know where we'll go next. Um, we've traveled around the USA. Now we've traveled to the Netherlands, so I'm sure we'll take another trip in the future. But in the meantime, God bless you and keep you as you homeschool, as whether you are a teen who is homeschooling and working hard or you're a parent who is teaching their children. May God bless you in everything that you do. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.